Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. After all this time, we Finally have live football to talk about. No more going off stats from six months ago. The numbers are in. Panic is at an all-time high, and we will certainly address that later. But the bottom line, we have live football. And we will talk about all of it here on the Breakout Football Podcast, courtesy of the Believe Podcast Network. What you can expect from Episode 3, our weekly superlatives, including the biggest fluke, 10 takes on 10 players, including Jameis Winston, the debut of the Panic Meter, and you already know which former MVP we're talking about there. Uh, We got Cole's close-up. He'll talk about a surprising offense, and of course, your questions answered in our fan Q&A. And yes, we do have another very special guest who we will unveil in just a few moments. I'm Zach Cohen of the Draft Network with Cole Topham of Devil's Digest. Once again, we are the Breakout Football Podcast. And Cole, how great is it to have some real live football? Dude, it's phenomenal. But with week one also comes those overreactions. And, you know, a lot of people sort of panicked about their fantasy team. So I'm excited for the the segment later in the show, our panic meter. I think we've got a few players that we can quell some concerns on, but also give some advice moving forward on on how to, you know, handle those situations, survey, you know, that sort of those sort of situations and field and and hopefully give you a, a more direct answer on what to expect moving forward. Yeah, definitely. But before we get to that, We got to look back on this past week with our weekly superlatives, our 10 takes, and I thought we should bring in a very special guest for that. He's a good friend of mine, and no, I'm not just saying that because he can get me fired. You may know him (laughs) from the Draft Network and the TDN Fantasy Podcast, which can also be found right here on the Belief Podcast Network. He also just had the most accurate week one rankings according to Fantasy Pros. Please, everybody, welcome in Jamie Eisner. And Jamie, I first... I have to ask, 
How does it feel to be the number one fantasy expert of the season so far? You are the holy grail of fantasy advice right now. It feels really good, but my other thought is it's all downhill from here. <laughs> like there's, that's it. I peaked in week one. Uh, and I know there's going to be a lot of fantasy managers out there that are going to feel the same way in a few weeks. You peaked in week one. Uh, we've all had those seasons where we started 1-0 and and things went awry. But so far, so good. I've been really, really happy with the way things are going. And obviously, as you said, just great to have real live football that counts again. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's, it's so good not having to go off the old YouTube clips and looking at the numbers from the apps and all the websites from last year. So why don't we just get right into it? No fluff needed. We'll start off with our weekly superlatives. Cole, you've got a good one that you can hit Jamie with. Yeah, I mean, just what you were saying earlier, Zach, about how – all of our analysis is based on speculation until up to this point. And so that has resulted in a lot of lineups, you know, having some darts in the lineup, but maybe after week one, it's, it's clear that those darts were just, you know, not, not the right picks to start the season. So Jamie, in your opinion, what is the most difficult bench stash to part ways with for a waiver pick? You know, a guy that was on the cusp of your roster that you just, you know, have to let go. I have a couple picks because I cheated. Uh, I'm going to come on my first show and break all your rules. Uh, The first one that I think was the true spirit of the question would be Michael Carter. Uh, He's a player that I really was high on all throughout the offseason process. We saw some signs in the preseason that he was clearly going to be third in that rotation with Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman there. Watching it play out and kind of watching how fairly mediocre that Jets offense looked kind of scared me away. Uh, If I'm not like super RB hungry, then he's somebody that would be an easy guy that I have to say, uh, I'm going to have to cut him uh, off my team. And then the other one would be Curtis Samuel, just because of the situation with his own injury. Now with Fitzpatrick missing time, that was a guy I was really looking forward to seeing his role in Washington's offense. And I know he ended up being one of the most dropped players in the league for waiver wire this week. And it sucks. I thought he could be a top 50 wide receiver for me on my roster, but right now with him missing time and then not knowing when Fitzpatrick will be back, I don't really need to roster either one of those guys over some of the hot pickups of the week. Yeah. For me, a dark horse, like way into the off season was Donovan Peoples Jones. Cause I thought he yeah. played spectacular toward the end of the stretch. Um, he really stepped up with OBJ out and I, he ran like the, I think the prettiest route of the season against the Titans last season. And so I was kind of expecting him to have a bigger role with Odell out once again in week one. And that just was not the case. One catch for four yards. It's, it's pretty clear that uh, Mitchell Schwartz has, has upped him on the depth chart and, and that Jarvis Landry is still going to be, you know, that main guy to fill in in his absence. So I have no problem cutting ties with Donovan Peoples-Jones, despite my love for him over the past few months. Yeah, and now that Odell is going to miss Sunday's game, maybe DPJ will get a little more action there. So those are some guys. Good. I like that. Talking about the bench. Let's talk about the starting lineup. The main players on your team, the head honchos. Jamie, my superlative for you, pretty simple. Most likely to become a weekly starter for your fantasy team. Someone who maybe was fringe start worthy. Someone who was just completely on your bench. And now, hey, you might be able to start him every week. I feel good about this name because I was pretty high on him in the preseason process. Uh, I even went out as far as to say that I thought he was going to be the best Giants wide receiver in fantasy, and that's Sterling Shepard. 
I know there was a lot of hype around Kenny Galladay coming in. Uh, I believe you have Kenny Galladay mentioned in the article that's coming out on Thursday at the Draft Network, Zach. And you kind of talk about what you would do with him this week. Mm. But Sterling Shepard's going to be the target hog. He is the guy that has all the chemistry with Daniel Jones. He is a player that had a really strong week one performance. And I imagine he's going to get enough volume to be fantasy relevant throughout the season. It'll be a lot easier to find room for him once by week start, obviously. But he is somebody that is going to be, if not in my lineup, at the very, very top of my bench and me going back and forth each week to decide whether or not he should play. Yeah, 100%. And first off, I love the foreshadowing of uh, my new content, which by the time this should drop Thursday morning, it's on Wednesday afternoon. Not the best weather for a Wednesday afternoon recording a podcast, but either way, should come out Thursday, my Start Sit article, which we'll talk about Kenny Galladay. Player I don't mention in that article, but I got to talk about right now is Daryl Henderson. And I feel like maybe it's a little easy to say, oh yeah, obviously he's going to be a weekly starter, but I feel like most people kind of drafted him with flex appeal, the upside of an RB2. There was some worry that Sony Michelle or whatever, uh, like posse of running backs they got back there would take snaps from him. Michelle was the only other running back to play in the Rams game, and he played three of their 52 snaps. Obviously, Michelle could be eased into a role, but this seems to be Henderson's lock. He seems to be the main back in the Rams offense, and his stock just gets bumped if the Rams continue to win. Because what if you do if you're up? You run the football. Would have been nice for Henderson Henderson to see like at least a target, but at least Michelle wasn't really used in the passing game either. So Henderson's ceiling is a bit capped. Like I don't know if he can be a top 12 running back, which would translate to being an RB1, but the usage and the situation the Rams offense is in should bode so well for him. At the, from this point moving forward, I don't think there's going to be any question about whether Henderson should be in your starting lineup. So that's my first superlative. Cole's got a second one, and this is a good one. I really want to see what you picked for this, Jamie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's week one. You know, coaches want to bust out new things in the playbook, and they'll adapt via, via game script or whatever. But it can impact fantasy performances, right? And so what was, like, the oddest usage of a player that was expected to have a big role on Sunday but really just hampered their fantasy stock? Well, I think there's one very clear option here. And Cole, as a fellow Sun Devil, you will know where I'm going with this. And it was Brandon Ayuk. Yep. Uh, this is a player that had such a really a strong run in his rookie season, really shined with George Kittle and Debo Samuel missing time last year. You know, we heard some rumblings in camp in the third preseason game. We saw Trent Sherfield get about equal uh, snap count with Brandon Ayuk, but we really didn't think much of it. I, he was non-existent no we got a carry in that game I, I believe he didn't even get a target I mean it was really really strange for somebody that I thought was going to be a wide receiver three flex caliber player I want to see how long that continues I mean Kyle Shannon came out today and didn't really indicate that there was much that was going to change you know he said he missed some valuable time because of an injury but he's going to have to earn spots ahead of the guys that were on him above him on the depth chart it might be a few weeks until Brendan Ayuk gets back to full speed, if at all. I mean, he's a guy that tumbled down my rankings, so I did not expect him to be a complete non-factor for a team that had no trouble scoring uh, against Detroit in week one. Yeah, and it was so odd today, too, Shanahan's press conference, and, like, I, I assume those comments would get taken out of, you know, out of context, right, um, by by just taking those little, little quotes and sound bites and putting them out on the internet. People are bound to, like, overreact to those, but the main message it seemed to be was that his hamstring 
was an issue still, and it prevented him from really solidifying his his role as the team's wide receiver too in, in preseason, despite the success that he had last year in his in his rookie season. And so I guess my my question to you is because you know Trent Sherfield had such a strong preseason and Ayuk has, has struggled out of the gate. Do you think this will still be a headline, you know, when we head into week seven, week eight, that midway point of the season? I don't think so. I think this is going to be more like a slow start, and then he'll slowly get back worked into the offense. The other factor that you have to consider, too, is that Debo Samuel and George Kittle have not exactly been pillars of health. And there's going to be a point where you got to put your best and most talented players on the field. So I think either from Ayuk getting healthier or one of those other top options not being healthy, I think we will start to see him at some point this year, maybe in a couple of weeks, get back to the workload we've expected. But uh, I would be cautious in week two, though. Uh, I'm not ready to throw him right back in my lineup right now, but I also wouldn't put him on a droppables list. Mm-hmm. Can that somebody means- get this 49ers offense like mega bubble wrap? Like it's kind of ridiculous yeah. at this point. Super glue them, whatever you got to do. I don't know. Anyway, I know, Cole, you got an answer to this superlative too. I'm dying to hear. Yeah, for me, it's Allen Robinson because Next Gen Stats tweeted out his, his routes from Sunday and it was just not good. I mean, he had six receptions, 35 yards, of course. Going against Jalen Ramsey, that Rams secondary is always a tough task for for any offense, right? But Nagy's play calling was just whack. There was just zero opportunities to get yards after catch. He was having Robinson just run predominantly routes where he would just turn back to the quarterback. And it was just very puzzling to see him used in a manner that was not typically what you'd expect from your alpha receiver. And so Nagy took back play calling this year after giving it up last year and it was it was apparent against the rams that it was once again a a struggle a weakness for the bears and so i just hope that it doesn't impact robinson's production who who has proved in the past that you know spotty quarterback play will not hamper his stats too much but perhaps play calling in the scheme that he has used will and so i i am a little bit concerned for for robinson and the way he is used in this offense specifically the routes he is running and the ways he is expected to get open. Free Allen Robinson, please. And while we're at it, free Justin Fields. Let's just yes. free everyone. Set them all free. Free Willie, free Fields, all of them. We got to kind of hope that like Robinson's uh, route trees or like how that offense was used was, was a fluke, which is a great segue to my superlative. The final one before we get into 10 takes, going to fling some players at Jamie. Jamie, pretty simple. Biggest fluke from week one. Mark Ingram's usage. Uh, I, oh. I expect him to get goal line work. Uh, I, that is going to be a thing. Like the, the Houston, David Culley is hell bent on making sure that Mark Ingram's going to get goal line work. Philip Lindsay will get some first and second down work. David Johnson's a pass catching back only. That is what they've told us all preseason. That's exactly how that first game played out. But Mark Ingram's not getting 20 plus touches every single week. <laughs> it's just not happening. This is, this is 2021 last I checked. Also, they're not going to be winning many games by multiple scores very often. I, the Jags were all sorts of terrible in week one. If you're in like a touchdown only league, sure. Like he has a decent chance of getting in the end zone because they are going to use him in goal line and go to goal situations. But in terms of overall usage, it didn't happen again. He might not get 23 carries over the next two weeks combined. Yeah, Mark Ingram, David Johnson, Philip Lindsay. Well, who, who else is in that backfield now? Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead, yep. 
like, hey, great. Like, if you're trying to build a team to win you some games in 2016, 2015, but we can't expect Mark Ingram to keep doing that. And we can't expect this player to keep doing what he did. I'm rubbing my face right now. I have gotten so many questions about whether or not Jawan Johnson should be picked <laughs> up, spend some money on him in the waivers, use a high waiver claim. And my answer is no. What are you doing? Sure, he was tight end five behind Gronk, Hawkinson, Kelsey, and Waller. Yeah, 17.1 fantasy points for a tight end. Mwah, chef's kiss. He caught all three targets for 21 yards, but he played 12 snaps. And again, that's just three targets whoop-de-doo he scored twice that's awesome the saints were up big on a team that they really shouldn't have been up on and not to mention adam troutman still felt the love from sean payton he saw six targets he only caught three of them just like johnson but he played on over 80 percent of the saints snaps troutman's the tight end to own in new orleans please for the love of God, do not waste a waiver claim. Don't waste a roster spot on Jawan Johnson. If he becomes a top fantasy tight end, it's literally the sign of the apocalypse. And I refrain from saying that because last year I said that about Logan Thomas and we kind of all know how that turned Oops. out. So just don't overreact. We don't need to pick up Jawan Johnson yet. Let's, let's be cautious about that. This is what happens, though, when the tight end position every single year is just such a wasteland, right? I mean, you have your, your solid three options at the top, and then the rest is all just, you know, speculation and mm-hmm. which one, that, which iffy target that you prefer. Yeah, my TDN article at the beginning of the week for waiver wires. I wrote a paragraph on James O'Shaughnessy. Like, what, <laughs> I don't what is going on? That's right where now? we are. Just you're begging for a touchdown or some targets. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. And we'll talk about a couple tight ends in a second because Jamie, we each got five players for you. Gonna throw some names okay, at ready. you. Give us your take on them. You want to take you want to take 10 seconds, you want to take 10 minutes, maybe not 10 minutes, but you get the idea. Give us your take. Cole, why don't you go first? Give him a good quarterback, too. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, you know, through a tutty his Smitty, got that Alabama connection already flowing. What, what did you think of his debut? Couldn't ask for much more than that. I had him as a top five quarterback in my week one rankings. He obviously lived up to that hype. Look, he's going to be a much better fantasy quarterback than real life quarterback. He's going to have a lot tougher games than he did against Atlanta, but I loved how that offense made things easier for him. I'm optimistic. He's, he's just going to be one of those guys that there's just going to be that disconnect. He's going to be a QB one for you all season long, no matter pretty much whatever struggles he has as a passer. His rushing upside is tremendous. He's got some options there. I think he's going to end up being in your lineup as your starting quarterback way more often than maybe you thought, even those that were high on him. Uh, I think he's going to have top 10 quarterback upside. His only risk is getting benched. Like, I think while he's out there, he's going to produce for fantasy purposes. Yeah, there you go. And hey, you said you had him top five in your rankings. A little sneak preview. I know your rankings are up. Where's he lie this week? Where do I have him this week? Let me look that up. I'll tell you exactly where I have him. Yeah, go for it. This is, this is great audio right now as I as I scroll through. <laughs> uh, I have him as my. Where do I have him? Drum roll, please. Where are, why can't kidding. I find him right now? I know this is weird. I can't find him. Right, I'm looking through all the names here. Uh oh, number twelve, uh, QB twelve this week. Oh. So he's still on my QB one t- territory. Okay, interesting. Here's a quarterback, and I want your take on him that I don't think right. you have in your top twelve. 
but he looks like a top 12 quarterback against the Packers. Jameis Winston. Is he an MVP candidate now? What's going on? Uh, in the NFL? No. Uh, <laughs> he, he comes in 18 for me. I love what he, obviously he had one of the weirdest stat lines of all time. Uh, at one point he had four touchdowns with less than hundred passing yards, finishes with five touchdowns. He's going to be a viable option for you. Maybe not somebody that you're throwing into your lineups while everybody's not on by, but as soon as bye week start, he's going to be one of those guys that is going to be starter worthy for you. I need to see more. Uh, I I'm, I'm not sure if that game was just more about how inept green Bay looked than it was new Orleans looking great. Uh, we have seen Jameis have highs. We've seen him have pretty, pretty low lows as well. So He's a guy that I'm intrigued by, I will say, but I'm not ready to call him a weekly starter. I think he's one of those guys that is like a hot is that mid to high end QB two is where I would put him where in a great matchup, he could spike into the top 15 or a great matchup with a lot of teams on by he spikes into the top 12. But I imagine in non super flex leagues, he's not somebody that's going to be in a lot of starting lineups, at least over the next few weeks. Yeah, Jamie, and what about Tyson Williams, right? I mean, you talked about Jameis, who you need to see more from, from him to really feel confident about. What about what about Tyson Williams? Because Zach called me Monday night, and he was mm-hmm. really was sure about Latavius Murray receiving the majority of the work there. And then Tyson Williams comes in and, and seems to be the, the lead back. Are you sold on him carrying the majority of the workload for the rest of the season? I'm not. And I think, it, I think Murray ended up actually getting one he more did. carry right in the end with, the, with all the craziness that ended up transpiring in that game. You know, I, I look at Tyson Williams as a high end flex play. That's kind of where I see him. That's where I have him this week. That's where I have him as long as he's there. He's got a high probability of scoring. I mean, he's probably the, uh, I don't want to damn him with faint praise, but he's probably the worst running back in the NFL with a chance at 10 touchdowns. <laughs> um, I mean, like that, that's just kind of where he is right now, where that situation is so good. And the volume of rushing is going to be so high. And he's going to get a lot of looks inside of the 10 that he's going to have value, but he's going to split work. They have split work in Baltimore with backs that are far more talented than Tyson Williams. They will continue to do it, whether it's with Murray, whether it's with Le'Veon Bell, whether it's somebody else, uh, whatever it ends up being, he is going to get a decent amount of work, but it's going to be all over the place. He's probably going to be one of the more frustrating players to own in fantasy. And honestly, he's a player that I would be looking to trade this week and try to sell high on him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly splitting work with Lamar Jackson as well, because oh, I mean, yeah. we, we know like there are design runs for Jackson to take off on Jackson's, you know, scrambling ability might he, he might view that as superior to just checking down to his running back. So, I mean, obviously Baltimore run first, but you got to imagine like how many how many touches t- you can count on for Williams to get on a weekly mm-hmm. basis. Yeah, Tyson Williams actually outtouched Murray by two, but Murray had more carries as Williams was more involved in the passing game. And one running back who finally, finally was involved in the passing game was a top five fantasy running back over the the weekend. I'm I'm losing my mind here because this is a running back that I have been like, guys, why, like don't hate him because everyone who's had Joe Mixon on their team was like, no way I'm getting that. No way I'm dealing with that again. So I picked up the scraps in my home league. I'm very happy with Mixon so far. Knock on wood, Jamie, your thoughts. You just can't quit him. Can't quit Joe Mixon. Can't do I, it. I just, the, the opportunity is there. The talent is there. Obviously he has a prolonged injury history that has always played to a factor. And obviously the way last year ended was not ideal when you thought it was going to be a short-term injury and they just never came back. And we never really figured out what was going on there. 
but I had him as a top five running back last week. Uh, he's a top 10 running back for me again this week. The, the volume is going to be there. Nobody's stealing touches from him. Like it's like Chris Evans and Samaj P Ryan. And like, uh, like there's just not those options there. There's nobody that's even of Gio Bernard's caliber that are there anymore. I love Joe. As long as Joe Mixon's healthy, uh, he is going to be a huge fantasy asset. Like there's the only thing that keeps him out of RB one territory is missing several games. Like I I've thought that all along. I think he could even miss a game or two and finish in RB1 territory. But if he misses more than that, that that would be the only downfall at this point. I love Joe Mixon. Yeah, another guy that missed a lot of games last season was Kenny Galladay. Um, first game with Daniel Jones, four catches, 64, 64 yards, 10.4 PPR points. You know, not too bad, but not great. And especially considering Galladay's 2019 season where he led the league in touchdowns. What did you see from, from him on Sunday? And, you know, will we see that production uptick in the coming weeks? I think he still looks like a guy that's getting up to speed. And I, and I do expect him to have a solid season. I just don't like where he was going in drafts. Like to me, he is a guy I look at as a wide receiver three in this offense. He downgraded a quarterback in the off season. There are more weapons that they have there. Like I, I just, I think people, whether it's, they didn't watch a lot of Detroit lions games because they're the lions and I don't blame them or whatever it might be. But I didn't feel like there was enough that was given to the fact that here's a guy that's coming off of an injury joining a new offense that took a downgraded quarterback with a lot of volume of weapons. Like, because part of me goes like, I expect Kenny Golly to get a little bit better as the season goes on, but I also expect Saquon Barkley to get more up to speed and more involved in the passing game as a receiver, as the season goes on. And I think that's going to cancel itself out a little bit. I still expect him to have a solid season, but if you look at him as like a wide receiver three or a flex option for you, I think you'll be very happy with the return that you're getting. If you're looking at him as a top 20 wide receiver, which he was going as a borderline top 20 guy in drafts, I think you'll probably be disappointed. Talking with Jamie Eisner here on the Breakout Football Podcast. We still got five more players left to talk about, including Jamal Williams. Your take, Jamie? He's going to be involved all year long. And look, this Lions team is interesting because you're going to see a few games like what happened in week one where they are so abysmal. (laughs) <laughs> that they just volume their way into fantasy relevancy. And Jamal Williams has proven that he can be a little bit of a do-it-all back. He was caught behind Aaron Jones. A lot of people you know, looked at him as more of the guy taking away fantasy points from Aaron Jones than appreciating his true value. Now, we'll see Swift get more and more involved as the season goes on. And he was probably more involved than they intended in week one because they were down a bajillion points right away. But Jamal Williams is going to be a guy that I think is going to find his way in a lot of lineups once by week start to happen. And people are scrambling to find, you know, those mid-level RB2s or flex plays. Like to me, he is in the flex conversation more often than not. And someone that's going to be in that equation once you start to lose guys either to injuries or to bye weeks. But he's not going away. It's all about feeling out your roster, right? And making adjustments, hitting the waiver wire. One of those targets on the waiver wire this week was Zach Pascal. And this dude was incredibly efficient on Sunday against the Seahawks. Four catches, 43 yards, and two of those catches were were for touchdowns. So, Jamie, I'm wondering how many leagues did you grab Pascal in? And what do you see him, you know, what what are you going to see from him moving forward? So I did grab him in a couple. And also he was a big reason why uh, I was able to bring home a few thousand dollars uh, on Owner's Box Weekly Fantasy this past week. Because he was one of the sleepers that I had in the flex spot. Carson Wentz loves his bigger receivers, 6'2", 
have yet to see Michael Pittman Jr. emerge as a wide receiver one. Like he's been given those opportunities at times when T.Y. Hilton has been out and he hasn't taken it. The ball has gotten spread around both with Phillip Rivers last year and as we saw in week one. You know, Pascal's a guy that obviously is not going to catch two touchdowns every week, but is a red zone threat, is a, probably the most likely of the Colts wide receivers to score a touchdown on a given week, even when T.Y. Hilton is in the lineup. So he is somebody that I absolutely want to add at the back end of my bench if I have a spot or if I'm a little bit weak at wide receiver, because I do think he's going to have the opportunity to get more targets than he even got in this game. He's going to get opportunities in the red zone, and he's proven to be pretty successful. Like, he's not flashy. He's not going to do – there's not one element of his game that wows you, but he's a pretty solid receiver all around that's been really successful when A, T.Y. Hilton's been out of the lineup, and B, when he's gotten more opportunity. These Colts receivers, man, they are they are tricky to figure out. I feel like there's always like three or four weeks every season where Pascal's just like, hey, don't forget about me. I can yeah. still be good. And another receiver that really caught my eye over the weekend was Jalen Waddle. And look, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, they all had pretty good showing. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the Dolphins receiver. Yeah, look, he looks dynamic and explosive. He looks everything like the player he was at Alabama. I am watching the Dolphins very closely this week because Will Fuller's coming back. And I want to see how Will Fuller is used, how Jalen Waddle's role changes. We already saw the pretty much the addition of Jalen Waddle and Albert Wilson is basically forced Mike Jacecki to hit the bricks uh, with complete no-show for fantasy purposes. And by the way, I don't think a lot of that's changing. Now, he's not going to get zero points every week, but I don't think he's going to be a main factor. I didn't have him inside my top 12 tight ends when the season began for my season long rankings. And I feel pretty confident that that's, he's not going to be a tight end one, but I'm very curious to see how Will Fuller gets used in this offense, because if it does it take some work away from Jalen Waddle, do they work in concert? Like where does Waddle line up? All of these things are really intriguing to me. You know, he is somebody that I know is, is a popular name just because of his rookie status, but I really liked what I saw from him and I'm really intrigued by how he's used in week two. He's somebody that I have like a, you know, and highlighted of like, let's, let's evaluate further after this week. And moving on to our final players, let's, let's dive into the tight ends a little bit. Logan Thomas, you know, didn't really impress anyone in the receiving totals in week one, but he was able to get into the end zone. And with this week's matchup against the giants, right. They kind of struggled against Noah fan last week. Noah fan finishing with, six catches, 62 yards. Do you think Thomas is going to be another, you know, safe option to play this week? I do. And, and I think we kind of have a blueprint of what this Washington team without Fitzpatrick is going to be. It's going to look like it did a lot last year. Um, I know you saw a lot more Alex Smith than, than Taylor Haneke, but I think you're going to, this is going to go back to Antonio Gibson getting a stupid amount of volume, anything over 10 yards going to Terry McLaurin, and then everything else goes to Logan Thomas over the middle or J.D. McKissick out of the backfield. Like I think that's the formula that Washington is going to try to implement in this game. It's how they survived and won the division last year, despite, let's just quite frankly, not great quarterback play. I mean, Alex Smith played as about as good as you could ask for, but wasn't elite by any means. I expect that's how this game is going to go, which makes Logan Thomas still on that low-end, tight-end one relevancy. He's got as good a chance to catch a touchdown as any of these other tight ends that aren't the elite options like the Darren Wallers or the Travis Kelsey's of the world. I think you're going to get a guy that looks a lot like he did last year with three for 30 and touchdown in week one. I could see it happening again in week two, but I think that it's more likely he's going to get four or five catches this week on Thursday night football than he did last week. Final player of our 10 takes with Jamie Eisner, tight end one, not Travis Kelsey, not Darren Waller, not George Kittle, Gronk. 
29 points, eight targets, eight catches. Mark Ingram, Gronk going off this week. Maybe we are back in 2016. So what are your thoughts on Gronk, Jamie? He's going to have these big games. Um, and, and this is a player that I loved more in best ball formats than season long, because I do mm-hmm. think we're going to see peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, particularly for all these players. Somebody has to get left out. And it was Mike Evans that got left out of the party in week one. Who, who knows who it's going to end up being this week and another great matchup for Tom Brady against the Falcons at home. So he's a guy that if you don't have one of those elite options, there's no reason not to throw him in because he has a chance to be a matchup winner any single week. But I also, if you told me he got two catches on three targets for 27 yards on Sunday, wouldn't bat an eye either. So you have to kind of understand that there's that, that risk, but what tight end that isn't named Kelsey or Waller or Kittle isn't a risk at this point. I mean, I, I still am all in on Kyle Pitts, but he didn't exactly have any fantasy relevance in week one. You know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't change him. I still think he's a top five tight end for the season. I still, there were still encouraging signs, but if you don't have one of those elite options, you're only searching for upside. And it's hard to argue that on any given week, Gronk doesn't have a ton of upside. Yeah, it's a rough landscape for sure. Mm-hmm. Gronk made my underdog best ball team look pretty dang good, though. So shout go. out to him. And even bigger shout out to you, Jamie. I knew the second we started this podcast, we had to come bring you on. You can find him everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, maybe even MySpace, at Jamie Eisner, J-A-I-M-E-E-I-S-N-E-R, or on the TDN Fantasy Podcast, which is right here on Believe Now. So you can hop on over there. Got to love a good crossover episode every now and go. then. Thank you, Mr. Peanut Butter. Did you watch? Uh, let's say, do you get that reference? I know, I know who it is. Oh, I no. don't watch Bojack, okay. but I know who. It is. At least you got it there. So for those, there's a nice laugh for those that watched uh, Bojack Horseman. But no, I'm glad to be on. Uh, this exciting stuff, and good luck to everybody in week two. Hopefully, you either start two and zero or get first W. Right back at you, Jamie. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, you can stay atop the leaderboards next week on Fantasy Pros. Fingers crossed. Man, it's always fun to talk with Jamie again. You can find him everywhere at Jamie Eisner, J-A-I-M-E-E-I-S-N-E-R. His podcast also on Believe. So you you guys have a lot of good options for fantasy football podcasts here on the Believe Podcast Network. Of course, we appreciate you sticking it out with us right now. The Breakout Football Podcast, we got a lot more names to cover. We got your questions coming up. Cole's got a close-up of a team that uh, I think surprised a lot of us. Some may call them an enigma, but first... I know you're super excited about this because it is the debut of the panic meter. Dun, dun, dun. I wish we had sound effects. That would have been much cooler. Yeah, if we had a soundboard, that would just really elevate this show to the next level for sure. Maybe we'll get there one day. But the panic meter is uh, basically what it sounds. We're going to run through a couple players. We'll talk about what they just did over the weekend. We each got our own player to talk about three each and we'll say hey where's the panic meter lying on them so why don't you kick things off Cole with a player who for lack of better words uh made everybody panic everybody was pressing the panic button should they be though yeah I mean Thursday night right really set people off there's you know Bucks Cowboys Zeke Elliott gets I think four or or it might have been six carries in the first half finishes with 11 and this is a lot of people a lot of people expected Zeke to bounce back from last season after a down year where he was supposed to take the brunt of the you know just the offensive production and it just didn't really end up working in his favor and so a disappointing start to say the least 
But can you blame the Cowboys when the Bucks last season had the number one run defense in, in the NFL, crushed every rush, rushing metric, and the Cowboys, it, it, it is a known fact that this offense has a lot of potency in the receiving game. And with the way Dak looked coming back from the injury he suffered in week seven last season, the way he looked on Thursday was phenomenal. The dude was slinging it. He was slinging it with fire and he was, he was accurate and he was hitting his, his receivers and they were exposing Tampa Bay secondary CD lamb, my guy getting in the end zone early on in the game. Right. And so I don't think you can blame the Cowboys when Dak is performing at the same level he was last season to take the ball out of his hands for the sake of balance, right? Just for the sake of saying you ran 30, 30 pass plays, 30 run, run plays. If you take the ball out of Dak's hands, you're setting this team up for failure at that point. And so while it doesn't play out in the best of favors for fantasy football, it worked for the Cowboys and not every game is going to be like this. And so I say, let's see what Zeke looks like against, you know, a softer run defense and not the Super Bowl champs from last season, because it was clear the Cowboys had a game plan going into that game and they were going to stick with it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think there's any reason to panic. So where would you put that on the panic meter if you have to quantify it? However, it may be five stars, a number, you know, a yes, no binary scale, anything. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with four because obviously you want to see Zeke get into the 15 to 20 carry range. That's what you'd expect from your first round pick. But like I said, in going against the Super Bowl champs, you want to air it out more knowing that they are stiff against the run. And so I'm not willing to raise it any more than a four on the panic meter out of a four out of 10 on the panic meter, mm -hmm. just because of that matchup. All right. Nice. Well, my player that I want to talk about before we get into our next two each, uh, in case you didn't realize Aaron Rodgers stunk on Sunday, the Packers were just Dead. not good. Like they looked like a peewee football team and Aaron Rodgers knew it. I uh, threw 15 for 28, 133 passing yards. We had the same amount of touchdowns as he did. He threw two more picks than us though. And he had just 1.3 points. He just, he just looked flustered. But there's obviously no reason to panic here. Look, last season, he averaged nearly 24 points per game. He had one game below 18 points, just one. And his stat line was eerily similar to what we just saw. He went 16 for 35 with two interceptions, 3.8 points. He was at Tampa Bay. Look, if I had to quantify this on the panic meter, and I'm so glad I got to queue it up like this, R-E-L-A-X relax there is no reason whatsoever to panic about Aaron Rodgers performance in week one it's like we've been saying it's just one week players have bad games even former MVPs no reason to panic Aaron Rodgers also gets a game against Detroit next which is great the following matchups against San Francisco and Pittsburgh aren't the greatest but either way I'm not panicking give me Considering he did score 1.3 points, I'm giving him a 1.3 on the panic meter. Solid, solid. And moving on to my next player, I have Cortland Sutton. And it was surprising because after going down with an injury last season, you'd expect Sutton to be sort of the wide receiver one and, and be that veteran wide receiver to 
you know, bring Jerry Judy and, and KJ Hamler into the fold and provide a more balanced passing attack for, for Denver. Jerry Judy's now lost, not lost for the season, actually. It, a lot of people believe that, but high ankle sprain, it'll keep him out for several weeks, right? And the fact is, is, is Sutton was still the leading Broncos wide receiver in sack, or in, not in sacks, in snaps, right? And he just could be shaking off some rust, right? Getting getting back into the swing of things. And so I think Sutton is a, is a really solid target to buy low on in the trade meter because obviously he's going to be more involved, right? I mean, KJ, KJ Hamler was, he looked good, but he dropped a touchdown and, and Sutton is, is going to be more of a reliable, reliable option for Teddy Bridgewater. He gets the Jaguars next week who lost against the Texans, didn't look too great. And so this could be his week to bounce back his stock is already low. If you want to make a quick week two trade before Sunday's games, then I say go for it because I think Sutton will be a lot more consistent moving forward. So panic meter on Sutton. I would say a three as well. Three. Yeah, I like that. Sounds about right. We know he's talented. And look, the Giants defense is uh, not too shabby anymore. One player I'm looking at, though, Najee Harris. Some people draft him in late first round. Some people took him in the early second, maybe even mid. Uh, look, he had 16 carries for 45 rushing yards. He had one reception on three targets for 5.9 PPR points. That's not good. I, you don't need to be a mathematician to know that. On the surface, it wasn't great. The Bills' defense looked pretty good. The Steelers' offensive line did not look pretty good. It's pretty simple. Here's another stat for you since we're big into numbers here in the Breakout Football Podcast. 100. Do you know what that is? Snaps. 100% of the snaps. Yep. Harris was the only running back to see the field out of Pittsburgh. They clearly want him to be a bell cow back. I am not panicking too much. And look at who they get to play next. The Raiders, the Bengals. And the Packers outside of Max Crosby, maybe uh Trey Hendrickson, Darius Smith. Like, look, there's some, there's some shaky players on those defensive lines. I think Harris is about to pop off. If, if somebody is selling him for whatever reason, please hop into those trade waters. Cause I'm putting Harris in the panic meter at about like probably a three, just like you did for Sutton. He's, he's going to be fine. Give him a, give him some time. Yeah, just give him time to acclimate, and Pittsburgh will figure out how to use him in the right scenario. One player I'm not really all that happy about his usage on Sunday, another Colts player in the receiving core, Michael Pittman Jr., mm. who I was super high on going into this season, thought he would emerge as the wide receiver one possibly at, at one point when, when T.Y. Hilton's free agency was up in the air. But I expected big things from Pittman to start the season and three catches for 29 yards was really not that, you know, ex the, the performance I was expecting against against the Seahawks, who don't necessarily have the strongest pass defense either. And the fact that Pittman finished not only behind Pascal in targets, but he also finished behind Naheem Hines, Jonathan Taylor, two running backs outperformed Pittman in the receiving department. And I think that is super concerning. And so Pittman, I mean, he could be leaning around the, the roster bubble. He could be on the roster bubble uh, as, as you know, the waiver wire heats up and you start looking to add and drop players from your lineup. Yeah. I'm not really a big fan of any Colts receivers, even Pascal who just balled. 
And I think that brings us to our uh, biggest name for the most wrong reason on the debut of the Panic Meter before we get into your close-up and some fan questions, mostly having to do with start and sits. Brandon Ayuk must have gone to Krispy Kreme because he was dropping donuts all over the field on Sunday. He had nothing on the stat sheet. Nothing. He played 47.3% of the team snaps in a blowout win. He gets the Eagles, Packers, and Seahawks next, so some promise there. But let me just run through the player targets here. Debo, 12. Kittle, 5. Trent Sherfield, 3. You would think, oh man, how many targets would Brandon Ayuk have? Well, Jermichael Hasty, Kyle Juszczyk, and Mohamed Sanu. Each had one target. Brandon Ayuk, for all the hype that he was getting, he got nothing. Nada. Not a single pass his way. And then, as if, as if the panic wasn't high enough on Ayuk, it hit the sun today when Kyle Shanahan in his press conference (laughs) said, just basically, it just wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Trent Sherfield was better. So now everyone's freaking out. It's, it's like that scene in SpongeBob when like it goes into SpongeBob's brain and all the mini SpongeBob's are running around the filing cabinets and everything's on fire or the this is fine to me and whatever generation you are from. Look, I know I've said it a million times. One game doesn't tell the full story and that's fine. But we got to look at it a little bit from last season too because Ayuk's best games came without Debo and or George Kittle. So I am panicking. I'm not panicking a lot because again, one week and we still got to see what he's going forward. But like, this is a seven right now in the panic meter, maybe even an eight. I don't think it's enough to really sell him or move on from him yet. But like, if he can't pick it up, if he can't establish himself as a wide receiver two after balling last year, uh, yeah, it's going to be time to cut ties. So I am panicking. That was the debut of the panic meter, which brings us before we get to our fan questions, Cole's close up. Cole, did you watch Monday Night Football? I did, man, and it, it was a roller coaster of a game. I, uh, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't watch the entire, you know, four quarters, but I tuned into overtime, and that was overwhelming for me. So I had to, I had to go watch back the game to really understand like how we arrived at that point. But man, it was nuts. Well, you got the Raiders. You got the Ravens in what can only be described as a Cirque du Soleil act, doing all these crazy things, fumbling and calls and winning, but not winning. And then actually finally winning again. Oh my God. It was, it was, it was crazy, but the Raiders offense kind of um, caught some eyebrows. Like, Hey, like this, this team could be, could be legit if they keep it up. So why, what did you find when you went and did your deep dive into the Raiders offense? Yeah, it's so interesting because it, it really hinges on on so many things because I think the, the firepower and potential of Las Vegas' players has such a high ceiling. We talked about Josh Jacobs in our first episode, Zach, and, and why I was down on him, right? He could be largely a situational back. He's regressed in yards per carry last season. His role remained relatively unchanged compared to his rookie year. On Monday night, very much of the same, right? The two tutties, they were certainly a lovely bonus for fantasy managers, but 34 yards on 10 carries. I mean, that's pretty easy math, 3.4 yards per carry. And the fact is, is the Raiders opted for Kenyon Drake when they were in trail mode against the Ravens. So 
Jacob's role largely depends on the Raiders winning, right? I mean, Drake finished with five catches for 59 yards. And while Jacobs was an excellent receiving back in college, and when he was drafted in the first round, when, when Gruden opted for a running back, many thought he would step into that multi-dimensional role. And that just has not been the case. We have a clear cut boots on the ground running back, and we have a clear cut receiving back. So Jacobs has his limitations, right? There's Waller, who's the team's target hog, 19 targets, 10 receptions, 100-yard day for him. But what happens when a safety and a linebacker double-team him, right? Who steps up? Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, they barely heard their name called through four quarters. Both of them were held without a catch for like 90% of the game, I think. I think Edwards got his first catch at the 56 minute or something like that. And then, of course, like Ruggs, I think, is a much better real life player than fantasy player because he opens up a lot of underneath stuff for for Waller. And then he set up the Raiders to tie the game. Edwards finally shows up in overtime. But the fact is, it's like they weren't involved up to the point where it was do or die. And so that's the point being like outside of Waller, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering if Derek Carr is capable of spreading the ball around or if each week there's going to be sort of this volatile production in the receiving core moving forward because Carr threw for 435 yards on Monday night, but it really didn't seem like it because of how much like Renfro was as a good security blanket at Drake was out there in the backfield and Waller consistently open over the middle. So I want the Raiders to be aggressive passing the football like we saw in overtime, right? Edwards going up for contested grabs. And then Derek Carr, I mean, I thought it was so funny. Like he, his fadeaway, his fadeaway throw seems so unnatural, but it was like an automatic dime every single time. So I just want to see that aggressive passing from Carr moving forward and, and less of this dink and dunk attack because I really think that will allow the bounder receivers to flourish. Mm-hmm. But until then, until we see some sort of change and in, in, in like kickstart like we did in overtime, then I just think Ruggs and Edwards are, are super hard to trust mm-hmm. as reliable options that will receive the ball, you know, at multiple points per game and rather than just situationally. Yeah, it's – I don't know if it's just like – his name, but like, to me, it feels like Brian Edwards has been in the NFL for like five or six years now. And it's his second year. And he, did, he didn't even play last year. Cause he was injured. Uh, because, but, but, uh, it's what? because people just like talk to him. They beat his name into the ground last season. Yeah. He, I, I swear like he, every catch he's like Mike Williams, right? He like shows up at certain points in the game, but every time he shows up, it's a huge play. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like on a serious note there, this is a young offensive team. Like for the skill players, rugs, Renfro, Jacobs, uh, like Drake is what the oldest guy there. Even Waller. I know he's like what 26 or 27. He's been in the league for a while. He was with mm-hmm. the Ravens to start his career. He was a wide receiver and then kind of goes over to the Raiders. That's when his conversion to tight end officially happened. Look, you, it feels like Waller is still just their offense, but like you said, there's a lot more like inner workings to that offense that really came to light to help them win that game. Is it great for fantasy purposes? No, not really, but 
it was just really, really fun to watch. And obviously when you got players like that, and then you got a guy like Waller who does that, look, if if you're a defense, you shut down Waller. Some of those other guys are going to need to step up and I don't know if they can. I don't know if they can. We just have not seen any of them really do it yet, even though, hey, look, game-winning touchdown in overtime. Sure, that happens. So nice little dive into the Raiders there, Um, which brings us to, of course, everyone's favorite segment, just a fan Q&A. Plain and simple. We got four questions, three from Instagram, one from Twitter. This one from Will underscore Sussus on Instagram. Thoughts on Aaron Jones. Man, I just think everyone on the Packers just had a down week, and we really just can't like discredit them for it. Like the offense was just not in tune, right? And you know, just the player of Rogers caliber that it just doesn't sit well with him, right? He is going to make sure everyone is on the same page for week two. So I don't really think there's much concern on Jones moving forward. It's rather just the Packers getting off to a slow start. That's Rogers does will not like that. And so changes will be made moving forward to improve the offense's success. Completely agree. Jones is fine. The whole Packers offense sucked. They're not going to run the ball much when they are down, and I don't expect Green Bay to be down much anyway. Uh, they abandoned their running backs altogether, which included A.J. Dillon. And let's not forget, like, Jamal Williams was the main pass-catching back, so without him, Aaron Jones is that guy now. He did lead the running backs in targets. So, again, not worried about him. If he had to bring the panic meter back for this, he'll be fine. Second question, though comes from matt.shay23 on Instagram. It's a start sit one. How about that? Should I start Julio or Debo? It's pretty clear Debo is wide receiver one still in San Francisco, right? I uh, dealt with injuries last year, which which is what sort of put that into question. But obviously with what transpired with Ayuk over the weekend, it's pretty clear Debo is going to be that that main guy in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Julio Jones struggled against Byron Murphy. I was watching some of the all 22 tape last night and Byron Murphy, like really seemed to like be in his head. Um, Those two were like close to trading blows. I thought because of how you just mentally disruptive Murphy was to, to Julio, he completely knocked him off his game. And so I think that was just sort of, uh, just struggles right out of the gate for, for Tennessee. Chandler Jones was incredibly uh, just an incredible force for Arizona. I think that caught the entire offense a little bit off guard. So against the Seahawks, a little bit of a softer opponent, I'd say, I think Jones gets back on track. Um, this one's tough. I feel like, I feel like I'm gonna have to go with Debo just because of his production last week. And you know, Shanahan is going to scheme ways to get the ball in his hands and Debo is going to get those yards after catch. And so I think just consistent production, a lot of people were down on Julio into this season. Week one may have confirmed those suspicions. I think you have to roll with Debo for the sake of consistency. You know, I've been low on Julio for a minute now coming into Tennessee. Look, he played 78% of the snaps, saw second most targets with six, but they're still tied with Chester Rogers. I think most notably, though, and shout out to the fine people at 444 Football for providing me with this stat, Julio Jones saw 0.12 PPR points per snap 
which to put into context was much worse than AJ Brown and Derrick Henry. And it was worse than Chester Rogers. And it was worse than worse ugh, than Anthony Ferkser. Debo played 84% of his team snaps and saw a nice point 69 points per snap. Just more efficient. Samuel led the Niners with 12 targets. As good as Julio's matchup at Seattle is, Debo's matchup is equally as good at Philly. Like, it's it's got to be Debo here. It's just got to be. So I'm with you on that. I want you bring up our next question from Instagram. Yeah, from the IG, Baxt 21 Panic button. We did we did do panic meter, but this is panic button. Okay. This is like a firm. Are you firm pressing the panic button on, on James Robinson? We're uh, giving me right now. I'm smashing it. I'm smashing the panic button. If, if you told me I had to press it or not press it, no in between, bam, staples. That was easy. I won't press it hard though, but I'll press it. Like what, what kind of changed here? We, we knew Hyde was going to take snaps for some outlandish reason. Uh, Hyde did out carry Robinson 11 to eight, but Robinson nearly doubled Hyde's playing time. And Robinson was still the primary receiving back with six targets, even though that was the fifth most on the team. Look, I don't think anyone's expecting the Jaguars to be at all good this year, especially after getting blown out by the Texans to start the week one. And if the Jags suck, they may opt to spread the ball, spread the ball to other better pass catchers. They did clearly favor LaVisca Chenault over Robinson, which we kind of speculated like, Hey, that's going to be Chenault's role. Chenault will take targets and snaps from Robinson because Chenault can play really all over the field, including lineup in the backfield. Uh, so yeah, I'd panic a bit, but this didn't come too much out of left field either. But if you're giving me the option to press the panic button on James Robinson, I'm pressing it. But at the same time, I'm kind of slapping myself on the wrist saying, like, I should have known this was coming, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm pressing it simply based on the fact that Urban Meyer just seemed to forget, like, he had running backs. <laughs> and that, I mean, it's encouraging that you want Trevor Lawrence to air it out. And obviously, DJ Chark, you know, had a, a great week one, I felt, and emerged as, as the top target in Jacksonville. Um but you got to establish the run and, and just give your, your rookie something to work off of, like regarding the play action and, and just setting up the defense so that your playmakers can get open on the middle, you know, mesh patterns, inside breaking routes. Like that's drawing the linebackers in. That's, that's what promotes a successful offense nowadays. So I just, I just feel like Urban Meyer, the experiment off to a rocky start. I just really hope that he taps the potential of, of his entire offense next week. I would be shocked if the Urban Meyer experiment works out in Jacksonville. And I had a discussion with this the other day about with a friend. Like, do, do, do we really expect it to work out? Like, this is a guy who's, like, left Ohio State, like I said, said medical reasons, not here to, to you know, say, oh, like, you're, you're, you're BSing yourself. Not going to do that. But, like, at the same time, the track record of, like, just kind of leaving and again not like in a bad way it's just like all right like something happened like oh, what's that's what he said like you had to go so to me seeing like everything that's kind of led up to this point and seeing what jacksonville put on the field on week one like yeah i got a lot of concerns about jacksonville and that includes james robinson our final question comes from at zach galpern on twitter pick two ppr league you got a wide receiver and a flex so you got a wide receiver and a flex antonio brown versus atlanta Debo at Philadelphia, Brandon Cooks at Cleveland, and Melvin Gordon at Jacksonville. Which two guys catch your eye the most? Honestly, the first two. Debo for the same reasons I, I said earlier. And Antonio Brown, 
is looking to be one of the steals of this season's fantasy drafts. And I know you called it earlier, Zach, but I mean, Evans just did not look good on Thursday and Antonio Brown looked like, you know, his, his 2018 self, right? So I think that's going to continue. This Atlanta defense just did not improve. It seemed like over, over last season, it's pretty much still Swiss cheese. And so that's, that's the reasons why I'm taking AB and Debo from that, from that group of four. Yeah, I'm expecting A.B. to slice and dice right through the Falcons uh, defense. So I, I agree with you. Give me A.B. and Debo. And it's not – I don't say it's clear-cut either. Like, I do love Brandon Cooks this year. Clear number one option in Houston. I just really want to see what they do against a team that might actually be good. Like, could Brandon Cooks be shut down? You know, could Denzel Ward shadow Cooks? Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see – how the Houston offense responds to a good team and not just the Jaguars. And then with Melvin Gordon at Jacksonville, again, like that sounds like a good matchup off the top of our head, but Gordon did split time pretty evenly with Javante Williams. It just so happened that Gordon was, which we expected, right? Exactly. Not out of left field either. It's just that Gordon was the one to have that big rushing touchdown. So it kind of made him look like he performed better, which he actually did, but not enough to the point where I'm saying he's a must start. I'd much rather have a B and I would definitely have Debo. So that's what I'm going with. Thanks for the question, Zach Galpern. And that will be our third episode. Again, if you are listening to us, first off, thank you. Second of off, second off five star review, baby. Drop that wherever you may listen to it. I know a lot of people tend to have Apple podcasts. They have Spotify. Drop those five star reviews. We appreciate them all. You can always follow Cole and I on every platform you may have. He's at ham analysis. Don't need to spell it out. I'm at Zach Cohen FB. I need to spell it out. (laughs) Z-A-C-H-O-H-E-N FB. We talked about this last week too. So there I am succumbing to it. (laughs) It's unfortunate having that, that comment of a name that there are multiple spellings. I, I actually do not feel you in that department. I'm perfectly fine with, with my distinct four letter name. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I know. I feel like I've seen a Cole with like a K before. Have you not? Have you never? Yeah, but I mean, I feel like that's super rare. Yeah, true, true. I mean, it's it's not to the point where, like, you're asking, you're asking, do you spell that with a C or a K? You know? Yeah, makes sense. Uh, if you do run into a Cole who spells or that name like much differently, please let me know. I'm very curious to see how what other ways you can spell Cole other than just like maybe putting a K in the front of it instead of a C. Uh, but either way. Fun episode as always, my bro. So that's uh, that'll do it. We'll be back next week after week two. Again, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, Twick, TikTok, Instagram with questions, comments. You like the episode? Great. You didn't like the episode? Sorry. We'll uh, make it up to you next week after you drop a review, follow us, whatever you got to do. So yeah, that's it. And we're still looking for a sign off. If anyone's got Dude, a good idea, we're still in the hunt for one. I mean, that's that's why we need the feedback, right? Yeah. Like, give, give us some lines we'll try it out we'll see if it rolls off the tongue or if it doesn't yeah and but basically we're, we're just looking we're looking for anything at this point yeah we should we should come up with like a fun like something fun to like do it you know like i don't want to say like oh send in your sign offs because then it's like what what really like things are we gonna get like something something weird you know what if we just like said like apples and then boom call to the day 
something something along the lines of like that you know i think we should come to next show with like two jingles and we each read (laughs) off our jingle and see which one sounds better oh so we're we're in the jingle making business now (laughs) i think we might be those are the measures we have to resort to all right sounds good well hey you stuck it out with us again we're uh like i said get us up with sign-offs jingles uh so that's it there you go appreciate peace everybody for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.